the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have and enjoy life, life in abundance until it overflows. Discover how to live the abundant life in Christ through the ministry of Pastor Oseyao Afuakwa. Pastor Afuakwa is the founder and general overseer of Embassy of Life Chapel, formerly Faith House Charismatic Chapel International, a thriving ministry headquartered in Kumasi with a network of churches in Kumasi and Accra, Ghana. God has commissioned him to train believers through the teaching of the good news of the kingdom to know God better, live life better, and impact the world better. Get set for an empowerment that will enable you to live a life of all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. God bless you as you listen. Second Kings chapter 10, verse number 16 to 17. Then he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. Somebody say, come see my zeal for the Lord. Say it aloud, come see my zeal for the Lord. Yeah, so they had him riding a chariot, and when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Come see my zeal for the Lord. We started exploring one of the things that we said is very important if you are going to serve God and serve him very, very far. Some people serve God and along the line, they, they pause. Other people serve God and along the line, they quit. Some people serve God and at some point, they see seven all together. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 28, it says, Wherefore, seeing that we are receiving a kingdom. Somebody say we are receiving a kingdom. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28. Let's look at that text. It's a very powerful text. Wherefore, seeing we are receiving we are receiving a kingdom. We have received it. They were expecting to receive it. We have received it. Amen. How many of you know that we have received the kingdom? Yeah. yeah. The moment you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have entered into a kingdom which cannot be shaken. The Bible says the kingdom we live in, the kingdom we function in, the kingdom we are part of cannot be shaken. I think that should excite somebody. Because in the world, everything shakes. There is nothing that does not shake. Everything in the world shakes. Businesses rise, they fall. Passions rise, they go down. But the Bible says, we are receiving the kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us receive grace. Let us receive what? Let us have what? Grace. Let us receive grace. The new King James says, let us receive grace. By which we may serve God, the, the King James Version, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So there's a way we serve God. Somebody said there's a way we serve God. There's an acceptable way to serve God. And the Bible said for you to serve God that acceptable way, you don't do it by the arm of flesh. We don't do it by human skill. We don't do it by circumstances. We do it by grace. May the grace to serve come upon somebody. Shout a better amen. amen. Let us have grace that we may serve God acceptably. And one way we receive grace is through knowledge. Somebody say through knowledge. The Bible said grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of Christ Jesus and our Lord. 
through the knowledge, the more you become informed, the more of the knowledge of God you receive, the more acceptable and qualitative your service to God becomes. When you are ignorant, you can't serve God well. Anywhere you see anybody do anything well, there is always a good amount of knowledge under getting it. You can't marry and marry well with ignorance. You can't do business and do it well with ignorance. There is nothing that is well doing that can be done in ignorance. And when it comes to our dedication, our devotion, and our commitment to God, we also need the knowledge. And one of the things we need knowledge about is something the Bible says we should never be lacking in. Somebody say, never be lacking in. You see, there are some things you can lack, and it's okay if you lack them for a season. But there are things the Bible says you should never lack. Because the moment is out of place. Your service becomes fruitless. Your service does not yield the dividends that they ought to yield for. You look at what the Bible says. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 to 11. He says, love must be sincere. Somebody say, love must be sincere. Okay, so love for God must be sincere. Love for man must be sincere. Then he said, hate what is evil. One of the things love does is that love hates what is evil. He says, love clings to that which is good. Then he says, be devoted to one another. I like this. Somebody say, be devoted to one another. Or oh, say it aloud, be devoted to one another. Uh-huh. There are a lot of one another scriptures. I think this year I said I was going to teach about one another. and I couldn't. But there are a lot of one another scriptures. How we ought to relate with one another in the body of Christ. How are you supposed to relate with me as your brother in Christ? How are you supposed to relate with me as your sister in Christ? The Bible gives us one of them. It says we must be devoted one to another. Be devoted. Be committed. Be committed. If there are people you must be committed to, they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand what Christianity is about. They don't understand it at all. If you see somebody in church who is having a hard time getting along with brothers in church, sisters in church, are they all okay? They are not all okay and they will never be all okay just like you are not all okay. But the Bible commands you to be devoted to one another. Somebody say devoted to one another. You see, no matter how bad your brother is, your natural brother is, he's your brother. Is that it? Yeah, your natural brother. And that relationship ends in death. Even in marriage, it ends in death. But there's a relationship lasts for eternity. And that's your relationship with one another. So if you don't try to get along with me while we are here, eternity will be very difficult for you. Because assuming that your door becomes very close to mine, you appear, I appear. How are you going to be happy? This is training grounds for us. Somebody say an amen. Amen. The Bible said be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted to one another in love. And then honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another. Somebody say honor one another. What you tell me should be something that you would like to tell yourself again and again and again. Honor one another above yourselves. We will treat one another with respect. We will treat one another with dignity. When we see value, and these things cannot happen until we see value in one another. We see value in what? What kind of value are we supposed to see one another? One of the values we must see is the fact that we've all been bought by the blood of Christ. You were bought by the blood of Christ. I was bought by the blood of Christ. And that binds us together. If natural human blood can bind people together, much more must the eternal blood of Christ. Somebody say an Amen. All right, so he said, be devoted to one another 
in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal. Somebody say, never be lacking. Never be lacking in zeal. In other words, when you see that your zeal level is going down, you have to go to God and say, Lord, increase my zeal. Give me fresh zeal for you. It's something you must sustain at all costs and by all means. And there are things that seek to quench our zeal for God. Zeal, zeal, zeal. Never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in zeal. We all don't want to lack in money. We don't want to lack in good relationships. But do we desire to never be lacking in zeal? Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Praise God. One area zeal is manifested is in our service to God. One area. So he said, never be lacking in zeal. If you meet a believer who is not actively serving God, has become passive, has become like a desgar in their response and their commitment and their devotion to God. There is nothing that is lacking. They will say it's because I have this challenge. They will say I have that challenge. They will say because God has not done it. It's neither of any of those. They are lacking in zeal. They are lacking in what? Because when you have zeal, zeal is not the absence of challenge. Zeal is what gives you the impetus to ride over challenges to serve God. Because nobody has ever come to a place where he served God and he was free from every trouble. If you look at the New Testament, a man who served God very well and is a model of Christian service for us was Apostle Paul. And nobody had crisis more than Apostle Paul. Nobody, nobody. The Bible says in shipwreck often. In the sea, night and day. In hunger, often in persecutions. There is no human being, apart from Christ, who suffered what Paul suffered. And yet, there was no time in Paul's life where his zeal dwindled or... He, no, 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 no. Always on fire. I pray you always be on fire for God. So stop giving yourself excuses. Because if you want to give excuses, you can have a thousand and one of them. Apostle Paul was in prison and he was writing out of prison to tell people to rejoice. Is it not crazy? I mean, it is in prison you want everybody to come consoling you. Is that not it? You don't go to prison and write out of prison to encourage people. But when you are zealous, nothing moves you at all. May you become a zealous Christian. May you be red hot on fire for God. You see, the word zeal has to do with fire. Somebody say fire. Fire hot like an iron blazing hot like iron. That's fire. That's what the original translation means. To be zealous means to be hot, 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 hot. May you always be hot, hot. Amen. I said, may you be hot, hot. Amen. Keep your spiritual fervor. Never be lacking in zeal. So when your spiritual fervor is going, it means that your zeal is going. Spiritual fervor goes down when zeal is lacking effectiveness in service goes down when zeal is lacking. Effectiveness in giving goes down when zeal is lacking. He says never be lacking in zeal. In what areas of our lives are we not supposed to lack in zeal? One is in fellowship. Somebody say fellowship. fellowship. Say fellowship. 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 When you become too busy to make time for church, your zeal is gone down. When you have become too busy, if Satan can make you so busy that you don't have time for God's fellowship with God's people, then you are over busy. When you become too busy that coming to church is a difficulty, you are more busier than is necessary. 
When Jesus came, that was one thing he had zeal for. He said, I have become a stranger to my own brothers. Psalm 69 verse 8 to 9. I have become a stranger to my own brothers and an alien to my mother's children. Because zeal for your house has eaten me up. Somebody say zeal for your house. He said, I'm a stranger. I'm a foreigner. People see me as strange. Because when you are zealous, most of the time people describe you as strange. You are fanatical. In political terms, they will say he's uh, foot soldiers. Foot soldiers. They are in the trenches. They are ready to take bullets for Akufuadu or Muhammad. They will defend every funny statement that comes out of their mouths. Everything is defendable, even if it's wrong. And they know that what the man said is wrong. But they will not go out to condemn it. Because they are zealous for the wrong things. May you be zealous for the right things. He says, passion for your house has consumed me. David said, I was glad. You know, one of the things he said, he said, one thing I've desired of the Lord, that I will seek. That is Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing, somebody say one thing. One thing I've desired of the Lord that I will seek after. I will seek after. I will pursue after. I will go all out after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He said to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Then, I like verse 5. For in the time of trouble, he will hide me. Most people don't dwell in the house. They only run there in the time of trouble. He said, I will dwell. And then in the time of trouble, he will hide me under his pavilion. In the time of trouble. Not that you will live somewhere else. And then when the time of trouble comes, you are running to the house of God. You missed it. His mercy will cover you, but that is a wrong order. That is the first place our passion for God, our zeal for God must be directed. When you are zealous for God, Coming to church is a delight. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, you are tired, but the joy of the Lord moves you into fellowship. Is somebody hearing what I'm saying? Everybody, I said it last week, there's nobody who goes through week and by Wednesday you are not tired. Unless you are not doing anything meaningful. But if you are really working, you will be tired. So tiredness is not a legitimate excuse to excuse yourself from anything meaningful. Because when you are tired, you still are able to overcome your tiredness to do certain things for certain people. How much more when it comes to your dealings with God? It is a question of priority. Somebody say priority. Most of the time, we have problems because we don't want to confront our challenges honestly. When we tell ourselves the truth, it is easier to receive the truth from other people. You can lie to everybody, but never lie to yourself. That's where it starts from. Passing for God's house. Number two, when passing for God is intact, it begins with passing for his house. Number two is zeal for the loss. Somebody say zeal for the loss. Zeal for soul winning. That's what I'm teaching on tonight. Zeal for soul winning. Look at Apostle Paul. This is one man, Apostle Paul. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16 to 17. For though I preach the gospel, somebody say I preach it. So this is not somebody who was quiet about the gospel. This was not somebody who was not engaging the ministry of the gospel. He said, for though I preach it, I have nothing to glory in. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. How many people have you made contact with this week? And have you made contact with this year? And how many of them did you at the end of your engagement with them mention the name of Christ to them? Ask them where they'll be spending eternity. Ask them where they fellowship. 
How many of them? You see, when the zeal of God is not there, we interact with people and we forget about what is most important to them. When the zeal for lost souls is not there. When we transact business, it's all about business. But you see, the reason why we are here is not to transact business. The reason why when you got born again, you were not raptured is not to make money. Your primary reason for being on earth is to reconcile multitudes unto God. Can somebody say an amen? amen? And your job gives you a very good opportunity to be able to do that. Everywhere you work, if that place, you are not known as somebody who persecutes people, attacks people, pursues people with the gospel, you are not zealous for Christ. You should be able to be uh, telling people about the gospel that when you are coming this way, they want to pass another way. Invite them for service until they are tired of your invitation and say, okay, when I'm going with you anyway. I don't really want to go, but let me just go and satisfy you. Praise the Lord. That is what zeal. He said, though I preach the gospel, though I preach the gospel, I have nothing, necessity, for war is me if I preach not the gospel. Look at Romans chapter 9. Look at Romans chapter 9 and see. <laughs> This man was almost placing himself on like curse. It's not something you do out of fun. You can only do that out of zeal. I said the truth in Christ. I lie on my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Verse 2. He said that I have great heaviness. Somebody say great heaviness. Oh, I know what modern day Christians we have heaviness for. We have heaviness for breakthrough. We have heaviness that the door must open. We have heaviness. We can pray with passion. Listen. This modern day church is almost becoming like the uh, Laodicean church. We prophesy and we talk about increase in goods. But the things that are most valuable, we have become blinded to it. Praise God. I have great zeal, happiness, and continual sorrow in my heart. What is it about? For a car, for a visa, for a child, for a breakthrough, for anything? He said, no, I could wish that myself were a curse for Christ. For my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. I wish that I had been cursed. If my being cursed was going to lead to their salvation, I'll be fine. That's zeal. Somebody say zeal. There are people in your family who are not born again. People in your offices who are not born again. And you are cool with them. You are cool with them. You are cool with them. You think everything is fine. Look at Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. John chapter 4, verse 31 to 36. Yes, yes, yes. Take a look at manifestation of zeal. When a person is zealous, you see it in these areas. He said, John chapter 4, verse 31 to 36. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Somebody say, eat. Uh -huh. If you want to really know somebody who is engrossed in something, food does not really matter. Meanwhile, I am super, super busy. Food is the last thing on my mind. Many times, it will be as if I'm fasting, but I'm not fasting. My mind is so engaged that I even lose taste for food. I have to consciously tell myself that I need food to keep my energy going. Jesus was in a place like that. He said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. This is Jesus. Soul winning was food for Jesus. What is it for you? Soul winning was food for Jesus because the context here is soul winning. This is Jesus. He had sent his disciples to go and buy food. They were hungry and he sent them go buy food while I wait by the well. And while he's waiting by the well, a woman comes by the well. The Samaritan woman comes 
and he's grossly engaged in a conversation with the woman, engages the woman extensively. And the disciples come, they bring him food. They say, ah, look at this man, the way he's happy and excited. Looks like he's eating. <laughs> he looks like, has anybody brought him anything to eat? That's what they ask. Because he sent them, go and buy food. Say, aquawede. <laughs> Science and wonders, he does them all the time. Maybe somebody has brought him food home. Then he told them, listen, I have food to eat you have no idea of. And verse 34, he tells us what it is. Look at this. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Somebody say, my meat. Say it, my meat. Now, I think a very good title would have been, what is your meat? What is your own meat? My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. By the way, are you even aware that you are on an errand? Jesus was conscious of the fact that he had been sent. He was on an errand. He said, as the father has sent me, even so have I sent you. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work, not to just start, finish his work. Now look at how he begins to address them. He said, do not say, because most of the time, I tell you, we have time for everything. Everything that has to do with us apart from the things that pertain to the kingdom of God. You have time to take additional courses. Time to uh, go for interview for promotion. Time to do all kinds of things. But, so winning can wait. There's more time. There's more time. That's what they were saying. He said, you say, say you know that I have four months and there comes the harvest. Because as long as you see the harvest is in the future. You don't see your, the need to be urgent about it. There's somebody in your office, maybe by the end of the year, he may not make it at the end of the year. By your ignorance, you think you have all the time. Oh, this lady, I think I will deal with her next year. That's when she's in God's line to be alive next year. Anybody you meet, whether in a taxi or anywhere, you always have to walk with the consciousness that you meet them again. You may not meet them again. And whatever you need to do for them, that is your best and your finest opportunity to do it because it's so true that you may not meet them again. How many of us have not met people that we felt we're going to see next week and we never met them again? How many of you have seen things like that before? It happens all the time. Most of the time, it's not close to you, so you think that it's so far. But most of the people who pass by us come to our offices, interact with us. That may be their last time. And we may be their last chance. To make a decision that will change their eternal status. He says, say you know that I have four months and come to the... I said to you, lift up your eyes. And look, the fields are white already for the harvest. And look at this. And he says this. Ayakabo Hando said, hi. Verse 36. He said, and he who reaps receives wages. We pray for wages all the time. The wages is not prayed for. You reap the harvest for the wages. And I like it. The wages here is not eternal things. Because the wages he spoke in the context of the scripture, it has to do with wages. I tell you, listen, when we don't live a kingdom priority lifestyle, we pray for things we should not pray about. You will keep on praying forever and it's as if God's ears are hard. No, 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 no. There is what you must do to access certain things. Next year, maybe I'll do some teaching on prayers God will not answer. Because there are prayers God will not answer. It's, it's scriptural. There are prayers God does not answer. What God has told you to do, if you don't do it and you come to pray to him, he will not answer. 
Go and do what he has told you to do. It's like bringing your gift to the altar and you remember that something has gone on. He said, go back and reconcile. He said, no, I don't have time. Lord, you must hear me now. He said, okay, talk. You will shout all day long, all night long, and nothing will come. Because you can't walk in disobedience and command answers to prayer at the same time. The Bible said, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. He says, he who receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. So, that's, there is eternal benefit and there is an earthly benefit. He who receives, receives wages. He who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. The early church, they were warned not to speak about the name of Christ. But the Bible says, zeal will not keep them quiet. Look at Acts of the 4, verse 17 to 20. Acts chapter 4, verse 17 to 20. So it spreads no further among the people. Let us severely threaten them so that from now they speak to no man in his name. I'm sure that some believers will say, Praise the Lord. At least we have our freedom at last. This one, even God will know that it is not us who don't want to speak. The people have told us we shouldn't speak of his name. I mean, life is good. Jesus died. We don't have to kill ourselves. Verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. Now let's look at verse 19. Let's read it together. Peter. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot. Somebody say we cannot. We cannot. Say we cannot. Now, imagine. I mean, those of us in Africa, we are blessed because Africa is said that you can address anybody about the gospel and you'll be free. There are some nations in the world, when you go to work and you try to proselytize anybody, you can have problems. Yeah, because there are strict laws that you don't talk to anybody about religious matters. Yeah. But here we are, we are free. You can talk to anybody at all. But when was the last you spoke to someone intentionally about Christ and deliberately? That's what I'm talking about. When was the last time? When was the last time? How many people don't you interact with? You think they come to you for business? No. There is a greater business they come to you for. Oh, me, I don't want to spoil my professional business. You will lose it with time. You may lose it with time. What may give you credibility? It's the gospel you bring to people. Somebody say a better amen. Tonight and next week, we are looking at 15 attributes of a zealous soul winner. Who is a zealous soul winner? How do I know? Number one, a zealous soul winner is motivated by love for God. A zealous soul winner. This is Paul. He said, for the love of Christ compels us because we thus judge. That if one died for all, then all die. For the love of God constrains us. For the love of God compels us. It motivates us. It drives us. It moves us. Why are you not talking to people about Christ? Because the love of God is not strong in your heart. When the love for Christ is strong in your heart and you understand that what took Christ to the cross was the salvation of lost souls, you will make it your habit. It will become a priority for you. Jesus did not come and die so you can buy a house get a car. All of those things are great. And if you have opportunity to get them, get them. But listen, if that is your primary objective for living, you have abused the reason for your existence. That's not the reason for your salvation. That's not the reason for your salvation. You see the way you are obsessed with getting material things. 
become obsessed with getting so saved like that. Because that's how a Christian lives. Today, Christianity is measured by all kinds of standards other than the Bible. The reason why the modern day church doesn't seem to be making a lot of impact is because now we are more conscious of living for ourselves than living for Christ. The cause of Christ is not the first thing. I mean, everything comes first except our relationship with God. Our job comes first, our wives come first, our children come first. Everything that has to do with you comes first. The last time I checked, he that will be first will be last. And he that will be last will be first. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Somebody say an amen. amen. Yeah. Zealous. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Look at Jesus addressing the man Peter after he resurrected. You know, Peter said, I'm going to die with you and all of that. The moment Jesus died, Peter, after a short time, he said, I go out fishing. Yeah, I'm the one who said, I will die with you. But if you have died, uh, let me also see what will become of me. I go out fishing. When Jesus rose up from the dead, he addressed him. And look at what he told him. John chapter 21, verse 15 to 17. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Somebody said, do you love me more than these? Uh-huh. And I want you to personalize that question because there are things that you have given a priority to. And God is asking, do you love me more than these? For some, it may be your child, it may be your job, it may be your business, it may be your something, maybe your career, your academics. Do you love me more than this? He said to him, yes, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. In other words, go after my sheep. Yeah. And you know, what Jesus was actually asking him was whether he agaped him. And Peter said, I feel you. you. <laughs> yeah. Do you love me with everlasting love? Peter said, I'm not sure. And <laughs> he said, I feel you. Now he says, feed my sheep. Then he went on the second time. Do you love me more than this? He says, yes, you know I love you. Then he said, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said it the third time. Do you love me? Then he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Listen, now please, I want you to take note of this. You see that love for God is always translated to what we do for God. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people claim it with their mouths. I love. That's what Peter was saying. He said, Peter, I handed my sheep to you. You abandoned them. I gave you a cell of 12 people. Now it's reduced to 10. And it's gradually reducing. You say you love me. Take care of them. Somebody say take care of them. That's what the Bible says. He said, do you love me more than this? Singing about the love of God is not as impressive. You don't impress me with those things. What you do for God is what demonstrates your love for him. The Bible says, if you love me, you will keep my commandment. And there is no greater commandment God gave us than the commandment to go after souls. Matthew 28 verse 19. He said, go ye therefore and preach and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded ye. And lo, I am with you always. Everything we do for God. Love is the greatest and most noble motivation for every kingdom stewardship engagement. Please never forget that. Love. Is the greatest and the most noble motivation for every kingdom 
stewardship engagement. Everything you are doing for God, make sure that it is rooted and grounded in love. That is the greatest. Love is the greatest and most noble motivation for every kingdom stewardship engagement. Paul said, if I give my body to be bent and I have no love, it profited me nothing. If I sing songs of men, songs of angels, and I have no love, it profited me nothing. No kingdom stewardship or yield that require profit without love. Your giving must be driven by love. Your soul winning engagement must be driven by love. Everything we do for God must be driven by love and love alone. Number two, a zealous soul winner understand that nothing is as valuable to God as a soul. Somebody say nothing is valuable to God. Or say it aloud, nothing is as valuable to God. As a soul, a zealous soul winner understands that nothing is as valuable to God as a soul. Nothing, and nothing, absolutely nothing is of great value to God. Nothing. We have to understand this. When we see this, we will put the value of a soul above every other thing. When somebody walks to your clinic sick, and Basope, you are attending to him as a clinician, you must understand that the soul of that person is more important than the body you are taking care of. Yeah. You need to have that consciousness. Mommy, when somebody brings their child to your school, they are looking for admission. You must look beyond the admission fee and think about their soul. When it comes to God, that's all he sees. He's not seeing the exchange of money. He's seeing the soul. Take your seat. Nothing is as valuable to God as a soul. Nothing is as valuable. The soul of a man. This is from the mouth of Jesus. Mark chapter 8 verse 36 to 37. He says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And then verse 37. He said, Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? A house will not do. Bugatti will not do. Lamborghini will not do. None of those things is as valuable as a soul. When a person exits this outer tabernacle and they enter into glory, what matters is their soul. That's it. Because you see, the highest price ever paid for a commodity or for anything was not for a house, was not for a car. It was for the value of a soul. The redemption of a soul. The highest price ever paid. First Peter chapter 1 verse 18 to 19. He said, knowing, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. What is value to us? Gold is valuable to us. Silver is of great value to us. But the Bible calls them corruptible things. From your aimless conduct received by the traditions of your fathers. But look at verse number. But with the precious blood. Of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That was a price. That's what makes the value of a soul more valuable than anything than every other thing on it. The highest price was paid for it. The greatest party ever was thrown in the celebration of a soul that was saved. The greatest party ever. Somebody say the greatest party ever. The greatest party ever. The father, he had one son in the house. When the son came back, Luke chapter 15 verse 22 to 24, that is when he threw the greatest party. He says, I've been fattening this. The father said unto him, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead. 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Praise God. The greatest party ever. This calf had been fattening every day for years. If the guy was away for 10 years, the party was planned 10 years. And when he returned, and listen, by the way, I wish I could tell you when you build your house, angels dance, but it doesn't happen. When you bring a new car for me to dedicate, it's a blessing. Bring more. Say amen. amen. When we are dedicating children, it's a blessing. And we dedicate more. Amen. Say an amen here. Amen. I'm not trapping you. But I also want you to know that all of these things that makes us excited on earth, they don't move heaven. I want you to understand. You see, a truly spiritual person has spiritual value system. What shows you are a spiritual man is your value system. What you value is what reveals you that you are a spiritual person. It's not the tie you wear, the jacket you wear. No, no. It's your value system. What is of more value to you? If money is more important to you, you spoil relationships in church because of money. It's a revelation of your value system. That's what they were doing in the Corinthian church. That's what they were doing. Because they were more concerned about getting their money. Sure. <laughs> For this son was dead, but is alive again, lost and found. Listen, the greatest task you and I can embark on on the earth, it's all winning. Is what? The greatest task. Don't mentally ascend to it. The greatest task that you can engage in. If God had only one son, he would be a soul winner. If God had only one son, and he had one son he gave him before all of us became. He was a soul winner. When Jesus came, what did he do? He was a soul winner. That was principally what he did. So what do you think of the job? The job God's only son will do. That must be the best job. Somebody say an amen. amen. A zealous soul winner understands. Ooh. A zealous soul winner understands that his foremost ministry as a Christian is soul winning. Somebody say my foremost ministry. Uh-huh. Lydia, music ministry is not your foremost ministry. Yeah. Oh, my own is ushers. No, no, that's secondary ministry. That's not your foremost ministry. Your foremost ministry is soul winning. That's your foremost ministry. The only ministry that anybody who is born again today has been given is soul winning. You know, before you can become a music minister, even in this church, you will come and they will do interview for you the King George and his people will drill you, test your voice, all manner. It's a long process before you are allowed to. Listen. But so winning, the day you get saved, you qualify. All the things you need are delivered to you. Somebody say an amen. amen. That, that's, that's the difference between it. That's the difference. The day you get born, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Look at the Samaritan woman. How many Bible school seminars did she attend before she started with this? How many of them? How many of them? They did Holy Ghost baptism for her before. Gave her communion. She attended Sunday school. No. The moment she experienced the joy of salvation, she was so overwhelmed. Went to town. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And that was enough to turn the whole city around. That's your foremost ministry. Before you do anything else for God, this is it. I was reading 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 and I like the way they're transitioning to it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? In other words, if a person gets born again, he's a new creation. Then he says, the moment you become a new creation, all things are gone, the new is here. Go to verse 18. Immediately he tells you, all 
of this new creation thing that you have just become is from God. Who has reconciled you to himself and has given you the ministry of what? The new creation has been given a ministry. The day you are new creation, you are given a ministry. That very day, that's your primary ministry. So no matter whatever else you are doing for the Lord, if you are not engaged actively, so you don't register anything well with God. That's your foremost ministry. All things are of God. And he has given you the ministry of reconciliation. You are reconciled. Go reconcile others. You are saved. Go save others. The Bible says, of some have compassion, making a difference. Of some snatching them out of the fire. That's why we are here. What will determine your status in heaven, I tell you, is your investment in soul winning. The source you got saved and the source you contributed to getting saved. The souls you personally brought in. Paul said, what is my joy and rejoicing? Is it not you at the face of, my, of our Lord Jesus Christ? You are my crown of rejoicing. You are my crown. You are my crown. Not anything. You are my crown. The souls are my crown. Then he says that God was in the world reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins. Verse 19. Not counting people's sins against them. I've been telling you about this. Not counting people's sins against them. That's not so winning. Stop fornication. That's not so winning. Stop stealing. That's not so winning. You don't win souls by telling them who they are. They already know they are fornicators. What they want is the solution to the problem. Yeah? You're on your way to hell. No. Hell was not designed for him. You're an ignorant preacher. Hell was not designed for man. Hell was designed for Satan and his angels. And Satan is busy deceiving people because he doesn't want to walk alone. The book of Matthew, the Bible says, hell was designed for Satan and his angels. And by the way, no man ever deserves hell. The price that sets man free from hell has been paid. Ultimately, it's been paid. The price for man's perpetual permanent deliverance from hell has been paid. What takes people to hell is whether or not they acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. That's all. And how shall they hear that Jesus is Christ except they are told? How can they be told except someone like you and me will go out and reach out to them? Can somebody say an amen? amen? Not counting their sins unto them. He said he has committed unto us the message of reconciliation. You cannot get anybody's attention coming out to point out his weaknesses to him. You put everybody off. Yeah. Because whatever is wrong with me, I already know. Most of the time, people are more conscious of what is wrong with them. What they don't know is the good things in them. That's what the Bible says, that the working of your faith will become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing in you. It's easy for people to see weakness. It takes a lot of discipline and spiritual discernment to see potential in the midst of a mess. Yeah. The reason why everybody seems to easily criticize is because that's very easy. It's easy to notice what is wrong. But it takes a high degree of intentionality to see what is right. Sometimes when I counsel couples, I ask them, and when, the moment you begin to talk, they can tell you almost everything that is wrong about your spouse. But if you ask, tell me what is good about your spouse, you see that they struggle. Because they are not watching out deliberately for it. Somebody say an amen. amen. Jesus said, you have not chosen me. I have chosen you that you will go and bring forth fruit that your fruit will abide. That's why I chose you. That's why you are saved. I didn't choose you to give you a car. If I gave you a car, it's to facilitate your work of soul winning. 
If I gave you a house, it's to make you at peace so you can rent muscles. Everything I gave you is for you to be effective at the primary business of soul winning. It was not supposed to let you take a back bench position. But today, the blessings have become impediments. God gives you a child and because of my child, I can no longer reach out to people. God gives you a car and because of my car, I cannot do this. God gives you an education and because of your education, your level of professional, God gives you promotion and the promotion eats you up. Be careful you don't fall into the calamity of the man herald. A zealous soul winner pursues lost souls as a lifestyle, not as a church program. As a lifestyle and not as a church program. You see, when we say we are written out like this weekend we are going to petit to help the church there, you can easily avail yourself. But what we are actually talking about, soul winning is not a church program. Pastor, I want to join the soul winners department in the church. No, it's not a department. It's a calling for all. Somebody say calling for all. Yeah. That's why we don't have a department set out for soul winning in this church. It's deliberate. We have choir, we have this, we have that, but we don't have it because it's everybody's responsibility. The moment you, you begin to do that, some people begin to feel that they are not a part of it. But it's every Christian's responsibility. May I charge you tonight? Second Timothy 4 verse 1. He said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the, the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Verse 2. He says, preach the word be Stand in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exalt with all long suffering and teaching. Verse 5. But you be watchful in all things and your affliction. Do the work. Somebody say do the work. Say do the work. Verse 5. Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. How do you fulfill your ministry? The work of evangelism. Do the work of an evangelist. Many people claim to be evangelists and they don't even know how to win anybody to Christ. Pastor, I think God has called me as an evangelist. Where are the souls? There is an office of an evangelist. That's one of the fivefold ministry gifts. But there is the work of an evangelist. That is a work for every believer. That's the work for every believer. Every believer. Every believer. Every believer. Listen, every good thing you have should be an advantage. It should be used to advance the cause of Christ. Or is a case already in your hands? Praise God. Anything else? A zealous soul winner is never ashamed of the gospel. Never. Somebody say never. You are not ashamed of the gospel. You know, there are some professionals in our days, they will talk about everything except talking to others about the gospel. Yeah. Revealing that they too they are into church. Yeah. You are a leader in church and your office people don't know your portfolio even in church. Because you don't want to be seen as one of those people who is fanatical. <laughs> your problem. Your problem is very serious. The designation you must be most proud about is not that you are a doctor or you are a lawyer. But you are a child of God. That's number one. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's number one. It's more important than anything. It's more important. That's not to denigrate whatever you are professionally. Who is professional than Paul? What did he not have? He says the things that were counted to me as gain, I counted them by dunk. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Of the Pharisees studied under the feet of Gamaliel. 
If you are looking for a scholar among scholars, that was Paul. But his greatest obsession was not with what he was in the natural. It was what he was in the spirit. Yeah. 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 The more you become spiritual, the more your value system changes. Your value system changes with spirituality. Paul said, I am not ashamed. I am not what? I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed that as a doctor, I have joined a group of people and we are on the street witnessing for Christ. I'm not ashamed. Not ashamed. Not ashamed. I was CCM president, Campus K and USC, and I was preaching on Mecca Road early in the morning. Those who finished the university with me and my mates, you ask them, they will tell you. Early in the morning, before we went for lectures, Mecca Road, I will set up uh, microphones there and I'll be preaching. I'll be preaching publicly before we go to class. The only thing I miss when they dethroned me from class president, and that was the reason why some people made me uh, uh, lose that position, was because every morning I actually became class president because I wanted to preach in the class. That's all. Because as class president, I have to bring you announcements. Before I bring announcements, I'll preach. Listen. Everything you have around you must be used for the gospel. You cannot be ashamed. Jesus was speaking. He said, it's almost like a warning. In Luke chapter 9 verse 26, he said, whosoever shall be ashamed of me. They respect you as a consultant or as a specialist. Use it. Use it. That's what you should use. Because natural people, they value natural things. Use it. Use it as a basis to be able to convince them. Because they respect you at that level. When you tell them, listen, you need to be born again. This thing that I, I am doesn't matter in it because it doesn't have anything. And you who are something, when you tell him this, and unfortunately we have a generation of people God has helped to become something and they don't understand who God has made them. They think it's to show off that I am this. No, 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 no. When you get to heaven, you realize that there are no sick people there for you to uh, check their body out. You know there are no legal issues there to be sorted out. Maybe. He said, for whosoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and of the holy angels. There are people God will be ashamed of you. May you not become one of such. Amen. I said, may you not become one of such. Yes. A zealous soul winner understands that effective soul winning demands going constantly and tirelessly after souls. Going constantly. Somebody say going constantly. Say going constantly. Yeah, going constantly. A zealous soul winner understand that effective soul winning demands going constantly and tirelessly after the loss. Going constantly. Going. It's a going matter. You don't sit. We go. Somebody say we go. Matthew chapter 10. Look at the number of goes. Matthew chapter 10 verse 5 to 6. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles or into any of the cities, but go rather to the lost. Somebody say go. Uh-huh. Matthew 22 verse 8 to 10. Then he said unto his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidding were not ready. Go ye therefore into the highways. Verse 9. Go ye into therefore into the highways as many as you shall find. Bid them to the marriage. Somebody say go ye. Again, Mark chapter 5 verse 18 to 21. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. This was the madman at Gadari. How be Jesus suffered him, but said unto him, Go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord had done for thee and how he had had compassion on you 
And when this man went, he brought ten cities. When he departed and began to publish in Decapolis. Decapolis means ten cities. One man, when he went, ten cities followed him. When the Samaritan woman went, a whole city followed her. In the book of Mark chapter 16 verse 15, he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16 15. Then he says verse 20, And they went forth. They went forth. Somebody said they went forth. And preach everywhere. The Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. They went forth. They went forth. Receive grace to be on the go. Amen. I said, receive grace to be on the go. Amen. So winning is a go you project. It's not let them come affair. Somebody say, it's a go you project. It's a go you project. It's not a let them come affair. It's a go you project. Jesus went after souls. It's like those who have challenged with shyness. No. When you are hungry, you lose your shyness. Am I communicating here? Yeah. You are very, very, very hungry. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, your, and your last opportunity to eat is what somebody is eating. You will put your shyness away. Next year, I will teach on the power of hunger and what hunger can do. What hunger can do? Hunger is powerful. Oh. <laughs> the prodigal son came home because of hunger. <laughs> he came back home because of hunger. Hunger. He wanted to eat pig's food because of hunger. The Bible said to the hungry man, every bitter thing is sweet. They don't select. They don't know. Gare no nkati no. As I close, a zealous soul winner understand effective soul winning is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. This is where prayer comes in. He knows that effective soul win is impossible without. Bible says you shall receive power. Power to do what? Power to be a witness after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Without the Holy Ghost, you are powerless. Because you are dealing with hearts that are hardened. You are dealing with mindsets that have strongholds. You are dealing with people who are not yielding. That's it. The Holy Ghost gives the utterance and it brings the conviction. When utterance meets conviction, conversion is the result. When Holy Ghost utterance meets conviction, and it will always lead the same way, conversion is the result. When our soul winning is empowered, Paul said, that pray that utterance will be given unto him. When he, the Holy Ghost, is come, he will convict the world of sin. Sometimes you don't know what you said. <laughs> and yet somebody is responding. It's conviction. They call it conviction. It's not conviction. It's not how hard you preach. Hey, Pastor, the way you people are preaching today, are you sure people will be saved? No, 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 no. People don't get saved because of hard preaching. People get saved because the Holy Spirit gives utterance and conviction comes. Praise God. I have preached prosperity. I have done altar call. People have responded. I have preached on stewardship. I have done altar call. People have responded. It's not how hard you preach. Also, who preaching man can come No, 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 no. You don't do that. In fact, if you are a preacher, your objective is to push. You may even miss nothing. <laughs> That's when people will not even get it. But when you come to the altar and you lay yourself and your nose on the altar. He says, Holy Ghost, 
do whatever you want to do. You can be passionate, but that is not conviction. Conviction is about Holy Spirit. I want us to stand on our feet. This weekend, we are going to Petit, and we want to pray that the heart of everyone within that area, the Holy Ghost, will begin to work on it. Open your mouth and begin to speak to God. Afroqua has just placed in your hands the key for all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. Share your testimonies with us on 020-422-5790 or email us at embassyoflifechapel at gmail.com. Get interactive with Pastor Afroqua on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more information, visit our website at www.embassyoflife.org. Fellowship with us this and every Sunday for our celebration services at our headquarters church, 6.45 a.m. to 8 a.m. for our first service, 8.30 a.m. to 9.45 a.m. for our second service, and 10.15 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. for our third service, and on Wednesdays for our discovery service from 6 p.m. to 7.45 p.m. Locate us on the top floor of Nanama Ejakumar Plaza, opposite the Unity Oil Station, Santati Runabout, Kumasi, Ghana. Alternatively, you can join us online for our services on our YouTube and Facebook pages, Embassy of Life Chapel. God richly bless you. Come on, come on, come on, come on.